welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Food brings people together and promotes community. And here at Principle of Hospitality, we are disrupting the current perceptions of what the hospitality industry can achieve in today's ever-evolving and challenging environment. So that's why we've been so proud to partner with Chef's Hat, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia on this season of Poe for 2021. This podcast is a really special one as we wanted to save it to our final episode of season nine before we take a bit of a break over Christmas and New Year. We've actually joined forces with a team at Ornamentum to have a very important panel discussion, which we've headlined Back to Better Business. Now, if you haven't heard of Ornamentum before, with over 27,000 Australian venues order and pay on Ornamentum, from over 500 of Australia's favourite suppliers currently with the list growing every single day. It's great for venues as it allows you to order so easily from a large group of quality suppliers. It's amazing for suppliers as you have the ability to set up standing orders, send text messages to customers and also get payment all through the same program which is pretty cool. I have used it extensively and it is an amazing program. Now in this podcast, the tides are turned a bit as we're lucky enough to have on the panel uh, for the co-founder of Emma and Tom's, Emma Welsh, the GM of Proud Mary Coffee, Leon Kennedy, who you would have heard on the show before. And this is all hosted by the CEO and founder of Automentum himself, Adam Theobald. This is an amazing discussion. I think you're really going to enjoy it. We have some fantastic insights in this show. So let's get into it. Adam's going to be hosting. Hope you enjoy the podcast. All right, well, welcome everyone here today. I'm super excited to be chatting to such an awesome group of industry experts. We're here to discuss a really passionate topic of mine, which is how do we get hospitality back to better business? We pick those words very deliberately. It's not about doing the same. It's not about recovery. It's about being better. And I think when I reflect on our time through COVID, one of the things for me was I learned a lot. Um, there's a lot of things that have probably made me challenge head on. And I'm really excited to have you guys here because I think we've got some of the best in the business to help us do the same from an industry's perspective. To that end, I'd like to welcome our amazing guests. And so first off, Leon Kennedy. Leon is a fantastic customer of Automentum. He's obviously well known to pretty much everyone in coffee. Uh, he's the general manager of Proud Mary Coffee Roasters, a hugely successful Melbourne-based coffee roaster. Leon's been in the, a business owner in hospitality since the age of 22. He's the co-founder of Bestia in Melbourne. He's taken Proud Mary through several stages of growth, including international expansion. And he has an awesome passion for the industry. And I know every time I've had him in to speak to the team, the team just comes away buzzing with new thoughts and new ideas and great ways of thinking about the customer because he's so customer focused. So an awesome customer, um, a mate and Leon, thanks for being here. No worries, man. Thanks for having us. Next, we have Emma Walsh. Emma is the co-founder and CEO of Emma and Tom's, a brand that you no doubt all know, and an incredibly successful health food brand creating a variety of health drinks and snacks. Emma worked in a successful corporate career until she spotted a, a fantastic opportunity in premium health drinks, and Emma and Tom's was born. Emma is a new customer to Automenta, which we're super excited about, and again, had her in to speak with the team recently and was just so inspired by her approach, her passion for produce, um, but also the great journey that Emma and Tom's has been on and you know with over 5,000 outlets across Australia um, exporting product to China, Jordan, Malaysia and Hong Kong it's a real a real privilege to have you Anna, here Emma so thanks for your time. Thank you thanks for having me. 
And Sean DeVry, um, Sean has worked in hospitality for nearly 22 years. You don't look old enough for that, Sean. Um, and he's the founder of Open Pantry Consulting, a company that works with restaurants and cafes to scale their business and make them more profitable. Sean's been a venue owner himself and he understands the industry intimately and from multiple perspectives. If that's not enough, he hosts the awesome Principle of Hospitality podcast for the hospitality leaders and to get them to impact their wisdom and inspire new entrants to the industry. So, um, Sean, super thankful for your time. Great having you here. Thanks so much, Adam. Really appreciate it. I'm excited for this conversation today. Awesome. Um, look, guys, we'll get straight into it. I wanted to start, before we dive into hospitality and, and the wider market, I wanted to start with a question about you guys. And, and, and the question is, how did COVID impact you, your family and your business? I think it's a really good opportunity for the listeners to hear a little bit about, you know, it's not just all about a big market. There's individual stories here. From my perspective, it had a really big impact. You know, it was incredibly scary, like most people, when we started experiencing what COVID was about. There was enormous uncertainty. I thought we had, I had great concerns for the business. I feel that, yeah, it was, inc I feel I'm in the 1% that I'm incredibly lucky, but it was an amazing learning experience is how I reflect on it. But um, Leon, why don't, why don't we start with you? Um, yeah, Leon, no what was, how, was, um, how was COVID for you and the COVID experience? Yeah, I mean, honestly, for business and for home, I have to say it was, you know, ultimately very positive. Not to say that it wasn't difficult. It was really, really difficult. But similarly to you, Adam, think, you know, getting to this side of things that can't help but, be, but feel very grateful for, you know, the way that we made decisions and the way that we strategized and the way we kind of worked our way through it and navigated it really. So I guess easiest place to start would, would be work. I think we were kind of fortunate at work to have a little bit of a heads up. We had the guys in America who were experiencing things a bit quicker than what we were. And, you know, I think I remember speaking to um, Nolan, the founder of our company, who was just like, bro, get ready for this. This is really intense. And this is what's going on over here. And at that stage, I was still like, what, what, are, what are you talking about? What is this thing? Is it, is it really, what should we really be worried? And, then it really became clear that it was it was coming and we probably had a few weeks there to just really get even just mentally prepared for what was to come. And I think that just put us in a in a bit more of a progressive position, you know, to sort of tackle things as as it started to swell up. And at home, I think it was just a similar thing. It was just a it was just a sharp, quick kind of pivot into having to just change the way you do everything. And Fortunately for us, you know, I, I work in a company that is very dynamic and very open to change. In fact, we often just go out looking for it for fun. And, you know, I think that really helps when you have to pivot and, and be adaptable. But ultimately at home from a philosophical sense, it was it was great. You know, it, it put me, you know, back in the house way more often than I ever have been for the last 10 years. And that only, you know, equates to good things. So got to spend a lot more time with the kids, got very healthy, you know, stopped drinking, you know, did all, just got into meditation, uh, finished my MBA, played heaps of Mario Odyssey with the kids uh, on the Nintendo Switch and, yeah, all things considered, just, yeah, it was a really good thing for the balance. Awesome, man. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. Um, I think I managed to lose, put on and lose weight. I, I was a roller coaster <laughs> of weight. Um, but anyway, I don't think that's too uncommon. Um, Emma, why don't we go to you next? How, how, did, how did COVID go for you? Um, yeah, we've had a, a real roller coaster and I think it's, uh, we've ended up in a better space, but it's, it's been a, a really tough journey. 
So we, I guess a bit similar to Leon, we, we had a bit of a heads up because we were selling in China and Hong Kong. And so we, we were talking to them and seeing what was happening there. So in January, we were seeing, you know, things were looking really bad. But when the market shut down in Australia, we lost about 70% of our sales overnight because up until that point, we had thought we'd had a very diverse, well, risk-protected risk business because we were selling to all different sorts of customers. We had schools, hospitals, corporate offices, impulse supermarkets, and, uh, and we thought it was a great, you know, diverse customer base, but that actually turned out to be the market that just obviously was shut down. So unlike most suppliers to the FMCG who actually are selling a lot to supermarkets and actually ended up doing very well out of the pandemic, our business, our sales, you know, just collapsed. So that was frightening. The government uh, job keeper and the speed with which they, they implemented that and the decisiveness that, that they had, had the approach that they took with that was, was absolutely amazing for us. And I'm not sure if we would still be here today if that hadn't been implemented as quickly and as effectively as it, as it was. And so, you know, so from a business point of view, that gave us the breathing room just to, to put everything in place, to review the business. I mean, like Leon said, you know, we, we took it as an opportunity to, to improve things. We rationalised we, and we really leaned heavily on the team. And I think we, we created a very tight team feeling where we were really all in it together. We were all pretty much being treated the same. We were all being paid the same. And we, we've survived it well, but we've got a, a, a smaller business, um, a more profitable business, and we have less products range. So we've, we've taken a lot of complexity out. And for us, Automentum has been part of that. I mean, we've actually implemented Automentum through this, this whole process. Automentum is giving us some efficiencies in how we operate, allowing our customers to be more efficient in how they order from us, which is then in turn allowing us to be more efficient in how we deliver to them. So that's been a great thing. We see a lot more opportunity. And I think, you know, for us as a small business, I mean, we have to be looking for ways to improve our efficiency all the time. So personally, my, I, uh, I live in Melbourne. My, husband, my son's been at boarding school this year up at Mansfield in the mountains, so he's had a pretty good year. My husband's been on Norfolk Island at a house we own on Norfolk Island, so <laughs> we haven't seen much of each other, but we're all, all okay. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that, Emma. I think, I think that's a really interesting point you make around how, as business owners, we all pull in towards the team. And the, t- the term I often use is the, the team really galvanised through the experience. It was a real... It's a really powerful force to bring the team together and to align everyone on fighting for, for, for the survival of the business, but also fighting for the customers and fighting for each other. So, and, and the other point you make there that really echoes with me is the JobKeeper support. I mean, I hate to think where we would be if that wasn't done so quickly and and, and it didn't take the shape or form that it did. Yeah, we, we don't often thank the government, but in this instance, I'm pretty happy to thank them because I think without it, I don't know where we would have been either. Super, super interesting. So thanks for sharing. Sean. How did it affect you? And um, did the podcast go nuts? Talk to me. What happened during COVID? Yeah, it was, it was interesting, Adam, because I was so I was working directly with a salad brand, um, which had uh, three retail outlets here in Victoria at the time. So I was second in charge underneath the CEO. I had my consulting brand that was in the background, but it wasn't. I wasn't really activating it for a while. And so we had a team of about uh, 25 odd staff. And I remember on, on the Monday, having to let go all the team except uh, except the managers. So we had a development chef and a couple of other people as well, a person who wanted a visa and and the CEO and the marketing person. We let go all these staff and I had a lot of international staff who were asking me whether they should go back home or whether they should stay in Australia, how long to ride it out for, like questions I had no answer to. So after we did that, the next day, so the 24th of March, I basically just walked in and talked to the CEO and I said, look, 
there's not enough business for me to be here. I think it's best if I leave because you've got people who have families, people who have, you know, kids and you've got someone that you potentially want to sponsor and we have no business right now. So why don't you invite me back if that, if that comes, comes to be, but pretty much I think I should just basically sack myself and that's what I decided to do. And so that was really hard thing for me to do, but an easy thing for me to do as well. And, and I'm lucky to still be connected with those people in that brand. In regard to the podcast, I've done about, about 40 podcasts up to that point for a couple of years beforehand. And I knew that now I was going to be in a position where I didn't have a job, at least for a short period of time. And, and as you said at the start, Adam, like I'd, I've been in the industry for over 20 years and I'm lucky to work all around the country. And it's, it is me. Hospitality is me. So without doing something day to day, which was involving hospitality, I, I literally didn't know what I was going to do to myself. Um, so I decided to double down the podcast. I sort of thought, well, these are probably going to be a lot of people who uh, aren't normally available for, for a podcast recording. So let's, let's have a conversation. And then in the last sort of 12 months or so, we've done roughly about another 120 podcasts. We'll, we'll get to about 170 before the end of 2021. And even though that was obviously great for building your podcasts and super beneficial, it was a benefit for me because I get so much out of listening to people's stories and talking about their journeys. Uh, I know that from uh, the conversation that we had with Leon at the start of 2021, like that was just an amazing couple of hours that we spent with him and talked to him about Proud Mary um, and great to learn more about Emma as well today. So, I mean, that, that has been a massive positive because it's mean that, you know, I've been able to communicate with the industry that I love so much um, as well as consulting and, and, and making sure that I'm, um, you know, having those conversations with people about their businesses and improving them. So largely it's been really, really positive and I have the industry to thank for that because I've been able to talk to them for the last 18 months. It's been great. Well, I can only thank you because uh, yeah, all of your extra podcasts, work well for me again make sure you get around the prince principle of hospitality podcast because it's great great guests and um the real question i have for you is how did you get leon to 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 open up so much just joking we all know <laughs> quickly. Well, mate, we, we, went to, we went to his coffee roasting facility and he, and he showed us around for probably what was about an hour i think leon um and i think we we recorded it pretty late at night. So I think there was a lot of things that were positive in, in hindsight. The fact that when we recorded the podcast in the nighttime, we get a different conversation. And mm-hmm. and I think um, we got him on a really good night, I think. <laughs> He's always a fantastic person, as you said. But um, but I think it was just it was just right place, right time. And we just had, you know, an epic conversation and uh, feel really fortunate. Love it. Well, thanks Thanks for sharing. And yeah, for all of you, I'm sorry for the difficulty that obviously sat amongst you. You've been very positive in your description of it, but I know that's just because you're very positive people, but underneath there's been a lot of hard moments and I'm sorry for you guys having to go through that. Let's get into it. At Automentum, what we did was we actually did a survey across our 30,000 venues and hospitality. We're lucky to work with all types of venues from cafes, restaurants, bars, pubs, clubs, licensed venues, you name it, they're on our platform. And we thought it was the right time for us to reach out and to try and understand what's going on in the industry and to really 
take this moment in time to make sure we learn, learn from everything that's gone on and come out the other side better for it. Um, so we went out to our customers and we surveyed them all. We also looked at the data across over a billion dollars of transaction to understand what were the themes, what had changed, when did the city slow down, when did the suburbs open up, what were the behaviours, when did venues close? And there was a lot of really interesting thought findings that came out of it. Some of the themes that popped up, which won't surprise anyone here today, is staff and labour shortages. Finding and keeping staff is just a massive, there's so much fear in the market around staff right now. Cash flow, financial pressure and food wastage, pretty important for the themes for the bottom line and won't surprise anyone, they made a, a big, made a big impact. Lack of government support came through a bit in the survey. Mental health and uncertainty around the future were big things that came up. Obviously the mental health part's a real concern and something we were very interested in difficulty in understanding the rules and regulations um, and the stress around enforcing the constantly changing rules, vaccine passports, check-ins and everything else that went through it. These were some of the big themes that came through in our survey. And some of the stats that also came up was that 72% of venues say that they, they're likely return to pre-lockdown profitability in the next six months. I was surprised by that number. That was an, a, quite an optimistic outlook when compared to what I've heard elsewhere. 91% of businesses are at least somewhat optimistic about their business, with a quarter being very positive. This was interesting against the backdrop of uncertainty. 50% of our survey respondents said they were finding staff to be a big issue. 35% of survey respondents said that keeping staff and staff not wanting to work will be a greater problem tomorrow. Worryingly, 54% said that they had grave concerns for mental health. And this was, this was really the one that stood out for me as, as really concerning. 46% said they had difficulty understanding the restrictions at any given time. And 52% said that they had difficulty, difficult or abuse abusive customers, especially with regards to the vaccines and enforcing them. I'm sure those themes are things that you've all felt in your businesses, but I wanted to crack into the questions and say, so the first question I have for you is through this survey, we actually got a sense of real positivity emerge, probably more so than I expected. There's been a lot of talk around the boom, the post-COVID boom that the industry is going to see. What are your thoughts on that post-COVID boom? Is it a thing? Is it sustainable? Can we keep up with it? How do you think about this idea of a post-COVID boom? I might start with, with Emma, if that's okay. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the post-COVID boom. I think uh, people have been basically trapped at home for pretty much two years. They've been given a lot of government money and they haven't been able to spend much money. So that alone says to me there's a lot of pent-up demand and people want to, go, want to get out. And I also think when you look back to the... The 1920s, after the Spanish um, influenza outbreak, there was a massive boom in that period as well. So I think history might predict it as well. A really good point, Emma. I think on the back of the GFC as well, I mean, what we saw was hospitality was one of the fastest industries to recover and boom. That's a, that's a really interesting analogy. Sean, what are you seeing out there at the moment? What are your thoughts on the, on the boom? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, everything Emma just said, I mean especially in Victoria and New South Wales, you know, with the extended lockdowns the last couple of months, like people just want to spend money and, and get together and, and, and socialize. So I think it's only going to be, it's only going to be an exceptional summer. Even the, the states which have closed down for, you know, Melbourne and Sydney people at the moment, uh, WA, uh, Queensland, South Australia, and those kind of things, like they'll open up in the next couple of months and experience that as well. So I don't think there's going to be lockdowns in those states because we've got high vaccination rates and governments don't want to lock down because it just costs 
so much money to do so for industry and and it's just so bad for people's mental health so i think there's going to be very much a vaccine economy and it'll make sure that we stay open or remain open and and don't have very much difference in density limits and those kind of things so i think it's a really positive space to be in much different than the end of last year so i think it's a much different place that we're now going to sit yeah right thanks sean leon are you already seeing some elements of this boom or how are you looking at the idea of a post-covid boom i mean just personally i think it's pretty logical to predict that there will be a boom i mean it's a pretty simple equation you know people are ready to go and unleash a little bit so so great the impact long term that that's going to have i don't know you know i mean how big is that bubble going to get you know i think everyone's going to come out and splash a bit but then you know what do they do after that you know i think that's really the the key thing that i'm trying to focus on is like yeah cool there's a whole lot of volatility and we need to get to the point where that volatility is gone and that's this sort of if, if there is a boom it's just going to be the end of that volatility so it's more about like what happens after that that i think is really going to be important and from a hospitality perspective you know it's it is it's pretty concerning you know i mean i think there are some factors there that really important to consider like it, it's it doesn't surprise me too much um the way it did for you guys about seeing the optimism in the survey i think you know you, you could potentially argue in many ways that the government have effectively overstimulated the economy really with support i'm not against that in any way please let me make that clear but you know i think the result of that is that everything kind of will take a little bit longer you know that some of the businesses that might have been struggling beforehand they kind of get a little bit more shelf life and you know, I think what happens from here is it's not necessarily about how many customers there are to go around. Like where I've seen things get really hard in industries, it's it, it, look, if there's not enough customers to go around, it's not the end of the world because as long as you can back yourself in to, to perform and outperform your competitors, you'll always be able to capture the customers that are there. The real issue is when there's not enough staff to go around. You know, that's that's when things get really, really tricky because Programs have to dilute, quality has to dilute, you know, systems become less reliable, the experience for the customer gets more volatile, that creates creates a whole lot of confusion in an industry that's already hard to create engagement for. Um, and I think ultimately, the impact of that is really unknown, you know, but the one thing I will say is, I mean, Sean, you've been in this industry, what, 22 years, you said. Can you remember ever there being a time in hospitality where staffing wasn't hard to come by? Yeah, I mean, oh, no, not quality staff. Yeah, I mean, staffing's always been an issue it, forever in hospitality. I've never, ever experienced it before in my life where everyone's like, oh, it's easy to hire staff right now. Like, it's always been tough. And for sure, it's tougher than it's ever been. But I remember saying that two years ago too. You know, so I think, you you know, it'll you find a way. And I think, like, there's going to be a bit of a natural order of things that will come as well. So, yeah, a lot of uncertainty, but I'm not, I'm not, super stressed about it yeah, it's an interesting point i mean the analogy that things are never as good or as bad as they seem comes to mind this idea that essentially we're in a world where there's a lot of fear but the truth is that hospitality kind of brings in people like it's this magnet for people it trains them up quickly it teaches people how to serve it actually it creates customer service throughout industries i suppose what you're saying is that you know there's potentially a vacuum which creates more opportunity more than anything else just, just jumping on to, I mean, this theme of workers, I mean, it's a really, really important topic. And I suppose my question here is, how do we incentivize workers into hospitality? I mean, is there anything specific that we need to do differently here to create that incoming 
workflow or is it about visas or what are some of the ideas you guys are thinking about around how we can incent the opportunity for workers in hospitality? I might go to Sean to kick it off. Yeah, sure. I think I'll refer to the Leon's point. Like it's, it, it's obviously never been as challenging to recruit as it is now. And with the brands that I sort of help recruitment for, like what we're sort of seeing is some changes in staff actually saying what they want on, on certain times. I mean, when I, I hate to look back on sort of my career and say it wasn't like that when I was, you know, starting my career, but like I worked every single weekend and every single public holiday when I started for probably the first 10 to 15 years. And that, that was just the way it was. And now we're seeing staff who are not wanting to do that anymore, who want to make sure they're at family events, who want to make sure they're at their mate's birthday and all those kind of things, which is a, is a real big shift. I think that'll mean that business owners in the hospitality industry will need to balance that as well. So they need to make sure that their staff don't work every Saturday and Sunday unless they want to. Like don't work every public holiday unless they want to, that they have more connection with their family because what's happened the last 18 months is they've got hospitality professionals have now got a taste of that. They, they, they know how beneficial it is to be home more and, and see their kids or go to go and connect with their mates and that kind of stuff a bit more. So I think there's going to be that balance. You know, obviously pay, uh, just making sure that staff get paid correctly is like a no-brainer and is something that has really come to a fore in the last couple of years. I think incentives are like a good start, but I don't think they're certainly not the, the thing that's going to be the long-term need for the industry that's not going to keep someone in having a hospitality career with inside your brand and i think in regards with um, visa holders you know who have largely student and student visas especially who have largely gone home once they get come back and hopefully they do come back an opportunity to treat them even better than we were before and making sure they stay and they have a career in the industry is really important and that there isn't as much casualization in the industry as there was before so making sure we pay them correctly, pay them on time and thinking about their rostering and making sure they got career advancement if they want it. That's the most important thing. Sure. I uh, love it. Thank you. Leon, um, anything you'd like to add there in terms of things we could be doing to recruit people in? Is it something the government should pick up specifically? How are you thinking about this? Hello, I've got some very complex views on this, so I'll try to keep them simple. Just cut me off if you need to do um, I think I'll start with the easiest one. I think like you mentioned visas and yeah, like mate, bring it on. You know, I mean, we've always had a problem with density in Melbourne. You know, if you look at some cities, right? Like you go to Hong Kong, you go to London, you go to go, these, these are areas of densely populated people, but they develop up. Like if you think about Melbourne, you go from like Werribee to Pakenham, it's like 88 kilometers, right? So we've got like a third of these populations spread over way more mass and it just creates a lot less density, which just makes things difficult, right? So I think the more population, we, we've got the infrastructure for it, bring it on, right? So that's the easy one. In terms of like, how do you incentivize people to come into the industry? It, it sounds maybe a bit black and white, maybe over simplistically so, but I think to me, one thing that I think about is, you know, if we want more people to come into our industry, we've got, it's kind of on us. We've got to run our businesses better. You know, and I think if you want to incentivize people, you know, you go back to culture 101 and you look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and whatnot, it's it's never hygiene factors. You know, I mean, it's, it's never the money, you know, that stuff never really lasts very long. The novelty always wears off. You know, if you, if you really want to incentivize people to get involved with your mission and what you're doing, well, you need to A, have one. You know, you need to be able to articulate it really clearly in, an, in a way that is actually enticing and captivating and then you have to create the opportunity for people to come and actually get amongst it in their own way. 
And I would say it's a fraction of the businesses out there, not just in hospitality, that can even tick one of those things off the list. So I think it's on us to actually, you know, get a bit more fed income about how we actually run our businesses and create those opportunities. And ultimately, I think it just comes back to that, to that development factor. You know, if you can create legit development for people, then they're going to want to come and work for you, irrespective of the job and all the other extenuating circumstances. Makes sense. Such a such a great answer and so insightful. I think it's no surprise to hear you say that, given what all of your staff say about you and how empowering you are and how much you like to create those opportunities for them, how, how training focused you are. So yeah. it's a really it's really great to hear you say that. The next question I want to get to was what are some of the things that hospitality can now do to reduce their overheads, streamline their operations, and smooth out their cash flow, especially now that they need to make up the last 18 months? Um, Emma, my throw to you. Start off with. So, but I might might talk about supplies to hospitality. Um, I think what uh, you know what we've done is supplies to hospitality. We've focused on the products that that are really working and and are looking at doing more, I guess, where we're, where we're famous and where we're great, rather than trying to spread ourselves as thin as we were before. You know, the issue with getting great team members, I mean, that that's a big issue for us. It's I don't know whether it's we're finding it hard to hire people, as, as everyone is, but we've also had a number of our own team members leave for sort of family, personal health reasons, and not necessarily their, their health, but their family's health. So, you know, there's a big issue with general health, and it's not all mental health, it's just, you know, a lot of it's just health. Um, and people just need to take some time off. So building the team, getting people um, connected, being part of the team, but then also giving the people that have been there for the two years and have worked like drovers dogs, giving them time off. And I mean, at least sort of two weeks, maybe three weeks time away to really recharge their batteries. So that's something that, um, you know, we, we really need to work out how we're going to do that in, in remarks, not having enough people to go around anyway. And I think, you know, using, using technology, better and then just in general managing things better being tighter more focused on on everything we do look that really really resonates with our business this idea of i mean what we found in our business is it's incredibly competitive to staff so our staff are getting calls every other week to, to go work at another technology business so there's there's so much in just digging in and getting tight on culture and making sure we're all really aligned. Um, the other thing we've done is we've actually given, you know, we've had forced company days off. It's kind of hard if you, you know, a lot of people do mental health days and what have you, but the problem with that is that there's this FOMO and mm. it's kind of hard for people to do it, but we've kind of, we've gone with that. The other thing that was incredibly good and probably the best thing we did was uh, we ran a hackathon. It was a three-day event of cross-disciplinary teams working on a single a single question. The question was, how do we do in six months what we wanted to do previously in 12? And it was just so incredible, the buy-in, the energy and the effort that people put into it really, really brought everyone together. So that was kind of cool. But enough about me. Um, I, I think it's more important that we hear from, in this case, Leon. Leon, what are some of the things that people can do here to combat some of these other non-staff need problems that are coming up. Yep. So uh, I'm hearing it as like managing your overheads and whatnot to try and increase your profit effectively. Um, I mean, number one, you got to manage your own expectations first and foremost. Like if you got into hospitality to make heaps of money, even when the industry was booming, you made the wrong call. You know, hospitality is just a hard, hard model. You know, it's, there's no margins in it, right? You know, so you're talking about a, an engine that is all about low margin and high volume and heaps of moving parts. 
that's pretty complicated. So I think you first and foremost, you have to actually be really clear about what your expectation is. If you're sitting there thinking profit to me and, and a good amount of profit is unrealistic, then you, you just you may as well stop now. So first and foremost, I think you got to be clear on what you can actually achieve and what you can't. And then within that, you, it's just, it's really, you got to keep it simple. You got to know your numbers, right? You got to actually have a basic method of reporting. Like nowadays with zero and all sorts of other things, it's really easy to, to um, manifest and produce quite complicated reporting. You don't necessarily need that if you don't understand it. You know, you just need to keep it simple, right? You just think about your revenue. You know, that's the first thing. Think about your wages. That's the second most important thing. You know, then think about like your, you know, your cogs. Think about your overheads and then look at your net profit and, and look at how that all ties together and treat them all separately. You know, they all require different types of investigation and just do it. <laughs> You've got to do it every week, you know? And it's, it's like I said, it's really low margin. So it's about all the one percenters, but... Ultimately, you've got to look at your cogs and you've got to say, okay, well, what have we spent and how can we get that down just a little bit? You know, it's it's not like you play off in these really big, like, you know, I do this one thing, it gets me heaps of return. You've got to be really gritty and really scrappy when it comes to trying to increase your net profit because half the time your ceiling is only really 10%. You know, if you're only making 10 cents in the dollar, those days where it was 15 to 20 are probably gone, probably closer to like, you know, single digits and there's not a lot of padding there. So you know, I think if you're looking for incremental kind of gains, you'll find them, but you just got to, you got to do the work. What, what I'm taking from what you said there, Leon, is, is this idea of information is power. Like you need to know the numbers. You need to have the, you need to have the inputs. You need to have the data. You need to know what's going where. So you can mm. be constantly on top of it because there's, yep. there's just not a lot of margin to give up, right? Yeah. And you, and you can't like, it's, I don't think, you know, in this day and age, we all think about, tech to do that right it's like if i need to know my numbers i've got to use dashboards and spreadsheets and you know in all honesty when when me and jace had bestia you know when we first opened there it, it didn't go so well you know we really struggled you know we couldn't get the punters in and it was really tough and me and him were just working ourselves ragged trying to actually keep the business afloat and obviously when it got really successful and it all paid off but in those early days it was tough we, we started doing our own bookkeeping and where we learned our best lessons was in our admin. So we would literally grab all the invoices and, you know, I was faster at typing. So he'd read them out and I'd enter them in and then we'd file all our invoices away. And that's where you're looking at stuff and you're going, shit, that power bill is pretty expensive. Like, is that, why is it so expensive? And, and little things like that would make us go, hey, well, where are we draining power? And, you know, we do little things like that. Well, we, you know, the restaurant's shut on a Sunday and a Monday on Saturday night, pull everything out of the service fridges and put it in the cool room and we'll turn the fridges off for two days. You know, and you know what, that's that might save us four hundred bucks a quarter. It all adds up, you know. So you don't need dashboards and spreadsheets to do that. You just have to actually, you know, put the effort in. You're a big advocate for dashboards and spreadsheets, but yeah, sorry, that's I, know, I know, speaking to the wrong crew. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think, I mean, there's a really interesting thing that comes out of that, right? Is the this is the same in my world. It's kind of do it manually, properly to be able to scale it as well. Is a similar yeah, yeah. theme, I think. Like, I think for sure, part of why you're so good at what you do now is that you did the hard work, you did it manually, you felt it, you developed an instinct about it, and then and then it was much easier to you know teach a great new worker how to do it or to use a system effectively, but you can't replace that nitty gritty knowledge that you get from walking through the lessons, right? Yeah, or put just a quick different way, as I've always thought about it, is the technology is going to make everything more efficient, including your inefficiencies, oh. right? So get rid of them first, you know, otherwise they're, they're just going to plant more weeds in the garden. 
a, it's a great analogy. Uh, Sean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of this resonates with you. What else are you seeing out there in terms of ways we can help improve the commercial viability of, of operators in the industry right now? Yeah, I think, uh, I think before I started, I think Leon just blew me back about 15 years in running bakeries <laughs> and running bakeries and, and doing some um, data entry and thinking about how expensive electricity was. Um, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the powerful thing today is Adam is you've got Leon who's got Proud Mary and obviously Emma who's got Emma and Tom's like two amazing brands that are actual brands you know what I mean they stand for something they mean something which gives them a license in order to really have a lot more flexibility about what they do with their product range and in regards to their prices so I think the first thing is is to have a brand that resonates with the customers first really stand for something really care because then that allows you to do so much stuff underneath that having a small product range I think is really smart during these times being a specialist in something is really really important we're seeing a lot a lot more of that as a trend coming through you can see that with obviously what they were in Thompson Proud Mary to do like they really care about their core product and then obviously supply chain is really important if 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 anything the last 18 months I hope you've built connections with those people who are the most important in your business your employees your landlord and your supply chain networks and making sure you can negotiate with them with with them on personal terms about what they need from you as a business owner and what you need to do to improve so that allows you flexibility around around pricing and, and making sure you're getting the best deal to, to continue to be open and the last thing is obviously around service periods and 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 rostering for venues so making sure that you know if you don't need to be open until five on a on a public holiday that you're not you might only trade till two you might not trade at all i knew a lot of people uh, especially in 2021 who decided to not trade all four days over easter like that was a massive change in the industry uh, because you know maybe it's not smart to pay people double time and a half um, in order to still make a coffee and only charge 10% more. So we need to just think about those things, think about those things as a business, because as much as you love your venue, as much as you love your business, you need to be making money in order to continue on that business. So profitability is the, is the, is the goal first, and then you can work everything else underneath. So it's a great point. One of the interesting things that I saw in the network, and I think we've got great representation of suppliers and venue operators on this on this panel, but I think one of the things that surprised me a little bit was just how much people jumped at the electronic payment. And I know it's quite a practical element here, but whether it was um, you know the suppliers being worried that they were shipping stock that they were never going to get paid for, or the venues kept telling us that they wanted a single place that they could watch every single dollar, um, so they knew what was going out the door, they weren't missing anything. And to be honest. Of all our metrics in the network, that was the number that ran up ahead of everyone else from both supplier and venue's perspective. How important is cash flow and, and simplifying payment and electronic payment for you guys in how the business or how the sector recovers on the other side of COVID? Um, Emma, just in terms of collections and payments collections, is that something that's really important to Emma and Tom's at the moment? Yeah, I mean We've, we've always been um, fund, the business has been internally funded, so we, we're always always very worried about cash flow. So we, we've pre, pre the pandemic, we had probably about 30% of our sales were still cash. And cash is very expensive, and it's expensive for us to collect and we have to bank it and count it multiple times. And, and then also when you know, it became a bit of a hazard in terms of contagion and stuff. So that's definitely gone down and, that, and that's been um, something that we've been happy with. What we've offered the customers is um, direct debit. So we try to make that easy for the customers that they, they we set up a direct debit and that uh, gives them sort of 10 days to pay it. So you know, it's actually better than cash for them. 
and no admin involved at all. Automentum obviously is a, a great system. I mean, yeah, credit cards and other sorts of things. So, but yeah, cash cash flow in a, in a business. And and one of the things that you know I'm a big believer of, if you know if you've got an issue with with a supplier that you're having difficulties paying, pick up the phone and talk to them. And and certainly through the pandemic for us, I mean, our suppliers have been fantastically supportive. You know, it's always worth uh, you know picking up the phone and having that conversation, not avoiding those hard conversations. And it's a, it's a great point. I should call out that we were incredibly lucky in the way our suppliers dealt with us in, in the exact same way. Um, so I definitely, one thing that came to me was we we're having a discussion in the leadership team at Automentum and, and there were a couple of suppliers that were really struggling. And, you know, my message to the team was, look, this is when you make lifetime, lifelong business partners and lifelong friends is when you can help, you do what you can. You never hold it over anyone. You never do what you don't have to. You always support. And I think I'm sure that's true of everyone here. But on the payment point, it was really interesting how the stat we pulled, which was we looked at the bit of self-promotion here. We looked at the customers who took payment on Automentum versus those who didn't. And the speed at which the impact of COVID on recovery of payment from a supplier's perspective was zero. It was incredible. There, there was no blowout of bad debts. There was no change to terms. The actual time to recover payments did not change. Whereas if you looked at the ones that collected payments off Automentum, it blew out massively. It was a multiple. It would be three or four times the normal trading terms to recover a debt. And that was super empowering, right? So it actually, it was really nice to see the objective numbers kind of back up some of the conversation <laughs> or the sales pitch, I should say. <laughs> but, <laughs> What, what was the reason for that? Do you think? I mean, I mean, we we didn't see that in our own payment. Yeah, you know, we didn't, we haven't seen our payments terms blow out. But it's interesting that you saw that. What, what do you think? It was. was I, I can only put it down to. I mean, you know, operators tend to trade on whatever they can, right? And and they're doing survival stuff, right? I don't hold this against anyone, but it's it's the flexibility of what you pay when is what allows people to move things around. And to be honest, good operators do that, right? They manage their term. From my perspective. You know, when you get out of an Uber, you don't talk about or think about when and how you're going to pay someone. It gets paid. It's just a part of it, right? It's it's behind the scenes. It's done. It's simplified. And that's really what we try to do as well. So it's this idea of I'm watching really closely of what I spend where, but when it charges, it charges. It's done. I don't need to worry about it. And that's that's kind of what we put it down to. Uh, Leon, you do a lot of payments, both on Automentum and otherwise, but talk to me. How do you... um? How do you think about this topic of payments and the shift to electronic payments and how it helps both sides of the network? Yeah, I mean, maybe I can even offer a bit of further insight to Emma's question where, you know, we, from our experience, you know, as, as you know, Adam, with a bit of disdain, we sort of got to couch surf on you guys for a while before we took on the payments. We sort of stuck to it for a fair while, you know, even though these guys were like, man, you've got to get on this. It's just the best way forward. And we knew it. We understood it. We knew the logic, but... From us, it was just like, oh, it's, it's cool. We've already got a system for it and it works really well. So just don't worry about it. And then eventually, you know, it got to a point where suddenly those people that were managing those systems for us kind of went, oh, actually, what is this sort of momentum thing all about? And I, I was always curious as to what prompted that change of interest. And I think the reality is like, you know, you go into a pandemic, everything gets constrained, right? Everyone gets busier. Everyone, it's, it's harder to do your day-to-day stuff. There's less people around. Everything just gets more difficult. People are harder to contact. And all of a sudden, automation starts looking pretty good. So, you know, maybe there was just a, a resource component to it as well. But yeah, as far as as far as we're concerned, we've got kind of two aspects of it, right? So, I mean, we, we've got the retail outlets where, you know, thankfully everything's COD um, and you don't have to really worry too much about collection. It all just goes in. It all just comes down to, like you said, Adam, how do you then manage that? You know, how do you spread? Hopefully you're in a position where you're positive and you don't have to figure out how to spread it across multiple creditors and whatnot. But 
when you when you're not in that position, which you're not going to be in that position 52 weeks out of the year, you have to be smart, you know, about how you manage it. I think I love the point that Emma made, you know, which is just so true. If you can't pay a supplier, the worst thing you can do you can do is avoid that conversation, you know. And again, to your point, Adam, it's like that is the moment you build those lifelong relationships when you actually use some empathy and help people, you know, like. When we first started out, we got to a point where we had a customer of ours get um, into a debt with us of about 15 grand, which is a, that's a lot of coffee. And that was a lot of money for us. And we sat down and we're like, shit, you know, what do we do about this? And it was kind of my bad, you know, like, oh, I wasn't watching it, you know. And we sort of went, well, if we just put a debt collector on this, maybe we'll see the money again. I don't know. We're not going to see all of it for sure, you know, but maybe we eventually just sit back and think about this as a problem here. How, how do we solve it? Because for them to rack up a bill that high, they must be going through the coffee. So unless they're buying the coffee and throwing it in the bin, they must be selling it. So the money is making it into their till. It's just not making it from their till to their bank account. So hang on, well, maybe we can go help them with that. And so we did, you know, we went out and looked at their numbers and helped them with budgets and realized, you know, there was just crazy amounts of reserve stock in the building. And you were really able to help them build some architecture around, you know, cash flow and management. And, you know, they're, they're not just customers anymore. They're like lifelong friends, you know? And so it, I, I love the points that you guys made. Um, but yeah, I guess like in relation to that, going into the payments thing made it a lot easier. And then I think you just have to be with a lot of uncertainty, cash flow becomes king, right? You know, you absolutely need to protect it at all costs. It's really funny. It's kind of like, it's crucial in hyper growth and it's crucial in uncertainty, right? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. the- what we find in the network is the businesses that are growing rapidly are the ones that adopt our payment product more than anything because it's funding the, the business, right? But same is true as on the edge. It's like, this is survival. And I think, you know, automated payments are not, I didn't mean to make this about automated payments. My point was more just streamlining cash flow and streamlining payments. If we look at our best, fastest growing supplier, they all have sorted out their cash cycle. It's not... They don't spend any time chasing money. It's sorted. But I think I think it's a, it's a really powerful step through this is how do we trade smarter? Well, we just, we don't have that question anymore. It's sorted. We, we're empathetic when it matters. We help wherever we can. But let's take that out of the game. Let's remove the transaction. Focus on the customer. Is the, when is, when is, the is like, it's like, so when, when is there a time in business where cash flow is not important? I mean, it's, it's like if it's like water to a plant, right? So if you, whatever you can do to irrigate that better, you, yeah, it's a smart, it's a pretty smart move. We're going to have to speak to our marketing team, irrigate the plant. That's how you slogan. Sean, <laughs> um, what, what do you have to say about, um, about the idea of digital payments and how the industry can better use it or could use it? Um, how important is it? How, any thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I think obviously you've seen a lot of, a lot of order at table and uh, delivery aspects which have really come to fruition since the pandemic started. So making the, making the payment gateway as frictionless as you possibly can, I think is really, really intelligent. I know when I do order at, order at table and I have to enter in my card details, like I'm annoyed now, um, if it doesn't have a functionality of letting me use Apple Pay, I think Apple Pay is going to be you know, dramatically important to venues and order at table. Google Pay, obviously, as well. And I think we're going to see platforms like Afterpay come through as well for bigger purchases, which have become normalized for, you know, going out and telling your mates and it's a birthday and that kind of stuff. Like, I think we're going to start to see that come to fruition. In regards to myself and sort of my consultancy and that kind of stuff, like I choose my clients. I'm quite picky with like who I work with and I, and I take a bit of time before, you know, we decide that something is going to happen because 
not only do I want that relationship to be important and I want a long-term friendship and, a, and a, hopefully a reoccurrence of me working with them again after a certain project, but obviously I want to make sure I get paid. And as I've moved forward in my consultancy, I used to have, you know, 30 day credit terms. Like now I have seven, you know, and sometimes there's a portion of my pay, of my consultancy, which needs to be paid up front in order to make sure that I've, I'm going to be paid at the end. So it's just about respect. Like I think, I think something was really hit me a couple of years ago when I changed accountancy firms and I was sitting down with my accountant and he said to me, Sean, like we really take note of like who we take on as, as a customer for our accountancy firm. And basically our mantra is if we wouldn't go camping with you, then you're not likely to be a client because we want to make sure that we have a really good relationship with you that we can help you grow and, and, and make sure that we advise your business as well. So that's the kind of thought process that I keep with my clients as well. I love that, Sean. I mean, what, what I'm hearing there, it's obviously a topic I've been pretty passionate about across both PayU and Automentum is this idea of re- reducing the friction of payment and just making it seamless. And if you do that, it allows you the time to focus on everything that matters. And I think your idea of having edit into the credit card or we, we call it the dog ate my homework. You know, it's it's just, you just can't have that conversation, right? But uh, but no, I think, and, I, and, and the pub test or the camping test, is, as I think you described there, I think it's a good one. That's fantastic. Really love that. Thank you. Guys, the... the Fantastic to hear you all talk about this. I've got one final question, um, but I want to zoom a little bit out of hospitality for a second and talk a little bit more about society more broadly. And my question is, what are the positive changes that you think we saw in society um, through the last 18 months? And follow up to that is, can we hold on to them? And I'm going to go to Leon on this because I just know he's got an answer ready for me. Uh, I, I don't, but thinking on my feet, I think like, you know, what this pandemic has done has brought people closer together. You know, it's it's forced you to spend more time at home. It's, well, ex- except in Emma's case where everyone bailed. But <laughs> <laughs> it's forced everyone to, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, when people get forced together, it's not always smooth and simple and easy. Sometimes there's a bit of friction there, but either way, it always sort of culminates in, you know, people being closer together you know you come it brings people closer together and they get perspective they get time to reflect and I think that's only ever a good thing so I just think once you've had that time to reflect I don't think you can go back from it you know I mean you mentioned before it was like 54% stat on mental health and I mean I don't I don't this is just obviously very speculative but I don't think that those things came up in COVID I think that things have always been there we just weren't noticing them you know, and suddenly you have more time to reflect, you have more time to think of just even working from home, you know, an eight hour day at the office is probably achievable in about three at home. So you're always just going to have more time to do things and just think more. And hopefully, you know, you arrive at some insights there that stay with you for life. I think, you know, maybe not all of them will, but at least some of them will. And you times that across the population, it can only mean a good thing collectively for society, in my opinion. So true. Um, note to Sean in editing for all the automentum staff, you cannot work three hours a day. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I completely agree with everything you just said. I think that's true. Um, Emma, what about you? What, what are you thinking in terms of the, the greater societal impact and the positive changes? And can we hold on to them? I think uh, the, the, for me, one of the best things that came out of it, and I apologize for the noise in the background because my, we're making some pallet racking. So. Um, but anyway, the, one of the best things that came out of it was the um, let's meet for a walk and the coffee, not not meet for coffee. Of course, we still fit it in the 
coffee, Leon, don't worry about that. But, you know, I think that's just been a fantastic thing of people going for a walk together. I mean, it's, you feel better, you have a more, a real conversation walking side by side. I, I think that's been, to me, one of the best things. Probably one of the worst things has been the isolation from your friends that are overseas. I mean, I, I used to have got a lot of friends that live in different countries and not being in touch with them in the same way. But, but on the being in touch with them more on the phone has actually been been a good thing. And I think the third thing is probably this sort of one-on-one relationship. I think you know because we were sort of not allowed to get together as groups. We've I feel my friendships with individuals have got stronger. So because I've spent time talking to people as individuals rather than going out for a dinner or a drink at a bar or something like that, we, we tend to do more as a group. So they're the main things, I think. Love it, Emma. So true. I think it's a really good point, especially around, you know, having to be more deliberate about our friendships and rather than just sort of taking it for granted, we had to make some efforts. And I think it's a really good point. John, what, what have you got for us? What are you thinking about the big changes in society and can we hold on to yeah, I think for the I think for foreseeable time, it allowed us to really focus on what was important to us, right? And that's obviously what what Emma and Leon have just said. But you know, making sure that we're not just doing things to be busy, but doing things to be purposeful has probably been something that's been really important to me. So I was, you know, smoking on and off for two to three years before sort of the pandemic started, and I didn't really understand why until I, until until actually until I left the work I was working on before the pandemic. And then I went, okay, well, I'm actually smoking because I'm stressed. And why am I stressed? What about my life is making me stressed? And there was a number of things, but one of those was, you know, maybe I, you know, shouldn't have been doing what I was doing work-wise anymore. And and maybe I should, you know, focus on other things. So that, that allowed me to stop smoking on the 24th of March uh, as well and really focus on my health. And I think whether you've liked it or not, you have focused on your health in some way, shape or form in the last 18 months, right? Um, whether it be, you know, thinking about your thoughts on a vaccine or, or thinking about dropping weight or thinking about stopping smoking like me or not drinking alcohol um, like Leon, like those kind of things have come up. And I think that is a positive. Even if you just thought about it and haven't done it, at least you've thought about it. And I think that's a great thing, which I think is going to resonate through. And I think we'll stop traveling for the sake of traveling and, and we'll be more purposeful with our actions and our, and our conversations and those kind of things. And we'll, we'll really think about the benefit of face-to-face a lot more and what value we really put towards that and how that builds community and builds um, excitement between people and builds relationships. And I think that's the part to play that hospitality has and anything that intersects into hospitality does is the fact that we are, you know, you build community through hospitality and, and through connection. And, and that's a, that's a really exciting thing. And I think that's going to resonate that people are going to care about hospitality a hell of a lot more than they ever did before because they realize what it means to them in their life. And um, I always have the joke that a lot of people have better relationships with their baristas than they do with their, most of their family. And I think, <laughs> <laughs> probably that doubled down in COVID times because people saw their barista a lot more. Um, but, but I'm, you know, I'm thankful I've got a better connection with my family. I'm, I'm thankful that I'm living with my partner. I'm thank, you know, thankful that I've got better relationships with my friends and I've been able to support them as they've been able to support me. And I think, um, I think that's only going to be a, a positive thing for everyone. Hey, Sean, I love what you said there about like being more purposeful. It really makes me think back. Like there's a, there's a dude named Miles um, Neal who said once that um, it's, it is us that bring meaning to life's activities, not the other way around. And that was like, I, I read that in his book, like at the right time, dude, like it was, 
just as lockdown was starting and that was what we really encouraged all our managers to sort of think about you know like because suddenly everyone just has all these big moments of time where they can't do anything and it's pretty hard to not get apathetic but understanding that it's it's on you to find the purpose in what you do it actually makes it really empowering so i, I love i love what you shared man thanks man 100 percent agree i've got two um themes that i think are positive they're probably similar to to what everything's what everything's that's been said but i think the first is the calm and, and quiet and presence that came with lockdown i think you know being purposeful is obviously a, a version of that but but i think it stopped us just doing what was in front of us and it made us be deliberate or purposeful but this idea of being calm in your decision and a little bit more deliberate I think was really powerful. It meant not filling your diary. It meant doing things that mattered. It meant saying things that you thought about. It meant real meaning rather than just noise. And I think for me, like that was super, super powerful. Like that's the thing that I'd love to hold on to is doing things more purposefully um, and more deliberately to your point. The second thing is sustainability. Um, I think it was a really important and powerful moment in the globe for, for a sustainability to be forced upon us. Now, I'm hopeful that that's a, that's a moment in time that sustainability can be a much bigger part of our thinking. And obviously at this moment in time, we're seeing some good things out of the, some of the talks going on overseas. So my hope is that that becomes a much more meaningful part of the conversation. Um, and I think for hospitality, I'm super excited about that because in not many industries does sustainability marry up nicely with commercial benefit. I think that sustainable practices are going to become more commercial very quickly. And I'm super excited about what that means for hospitality. Side note, I'm optimistic that these things happen. I'm a little bit concerned that we're too competitive as a species, as a species to let it happen, but I'm going to go with the optimism. I'm hopeful um, and I'm confident that the, the momentum is with us. I've got one last question for us just before we go. You're all super successful in your own right. Um, and I, again, really appreciate your time today. Um, if you could give me two or three key messages for the government on what it's done and what happens next. It's not meant to be a political discussion. My view is essentially, how has this been managed from a government perspective? And what do you think the government should be thinking about over the next six to 12 months in order to help hospitality? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, it'd be great if they could make restaurants and cafes stop having to pay GST. <laughs> that would fix everything pretty quickly. I mean, butchers don't have to do it. Fruit and veg guys don't have to do it. So, you know, somehow we just got stuck on the wrong side of that line. But no, I'm, I'm half kidding. I think um, realistically, they've done a great job. You know, I, I think it's been, oh, man, who would want to be in Daniel Andrews' shoes, you know, or whoever the who's, whoever your premier is, Adam, like... Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, it just, what a hard job. You know, I think, I, I don't know, I think there's been a lot of criticism, but very rarely have I heard any criticism but that comes with a better solution, you know? So I think that's the only message I give them, like props. I think, yeah, done well. Good one. Sean? Um, yeah, I think much what Leon said is uh, everything Leon said is absolutely true. I think I think either you know Liberal or Labor across the board has done a pretty good job. Um, we're sitting in a really good place in regards to vaccine vaccine levels across the country now, which is you know much better than a lot of countries, and it gives us a lot more flexibility. So I think that that allows. Um, that's a really great thing to celebrate. What it has thrown up, though, is things like TAFE. You know, if we think about training and that kind of stuff across the industry, uh, more money needs to be spent 
on tape for making sure we're giving proper training uh, across the board needs to be simplified and needs to be something that's really heralded again uh, is really, really important. That's going to be that people have careers in the industry, not just jobs. I think from a council level, I think consistency in, in food licensing would be amazing. Um, when I was living and working in Brisbane, uh, it, it was great because the Brisbane City Council has one of the biggest councils in the world uh, by footprint. So it meant that if you did uh, a cafe on one side of town, you'd have the same food business license you did on the other side of town, which is something that doesn't happen uh, around the rest of the country. And I think uh, liquor licensing and things like that as well, like having that a bit more normalised and a bit more consistent. We've seen a lot of a lot of changes, a lot of positive changes in the last 18 months, which has been great. So I hope that continues. And I think... Uh, also local governments, uh, the city of Melbourne is doing a great job at the moment in opening up storefronts, which are, which are vacant at the moment and giving, you know, young people, people with ideas, a bit of an opportunity to try something different. So I hope that continues on and broadens out to other councils to make streetscapes uh, a lot more lively and hospitality is always a great way of doing that. So I hope that continues on as well. Awesome, sure. Good points. Emma, anything for you add? Um, well, I think the obvious one, which but we haven't mentioned it, is um, definitely allowing um, the foreign foreigners to come in for the, with the working holiday visas. I mean, that's a massive thing, and I think it's great for our society to have those sort of people. And and obviously, we, we absolutely need them as workers now. So that um, that's something that I really think has to happen. I do a bit on this um, consistency between states and rules, but it's it's a bit in a different area with hospitality, but um, all the different regulations and and classifications of food and beverages in whether it's in a hospital, whether it's in a school, whether it's in a corporate, it's all different across the states. And it makes it incredibly difficult to develop products that are, you know, obviously want to sell things nationally. So that's a, a massive opportunity for the government, I think, to streamline, streamline things. Uh, payroll tax is always a terrible thing that you think, why the hell are we paying taxes to, to employ people 5% basically on top of any wages we pay goes as extra taxes to the government. Awesome. Well, hey team, I really appreciate your time today. I feel very lucky to be working with two of you and hopefully working with Sean more in the future as well. But yeah, I feel blessed to be working with such amazing professionals that are doing such great things in the industry for great customers. And it's an industry that we're all super passionate about. And yeah, the topic of trading smarter or trading better out of this is something I'm really, really passionate about. And big thanks for your time today. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, thanks everyone. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that one that was such a great discussion with emma and leon and adam so i really appreciate the team at automentum putting it together for us uh, just fantastic knowledge that was dropped today so please comment like and share this podcast with your friends in the industry you know we're making this content with the industry in mind so we'd really appreciate you sharing it along thanks as well to our supporter the largest family owned and operated hospitality supplier in australia chef's hat where the industry shops. And if you don't know us at Poe, I hope you do by now, but Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, or graphic design, then you know you can find them at principaldesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with your systems and processes to make your business run even more smoothly. Now, as I said, we're taking a bit of a break over the next few weeks 
We're going to be releasing some old episodes, which we love the most and got the most feedback off. So I hope you're really going to enjoy those over the coming weeks. Thanks so much again to Automentum for putting this panel discussion together. It was fantastic to be part of it. And thanks as well to Chef's Hat for supporting us this whole season. It's been fantastic. Until next time, stay safe, everyone. Thank you.